Well, good morning, church. I'm Dennis, one of the pastors here at Garden City. Really glad that you are all here with us this morning. If you're new with us this morning, welcome. Absolutely thrilled that you would choose to spend about 75 minutes of your Sunday morning here with us. Today, we are continuing in our study of the book of Acts. We're in our third week of this study. And I think eventually we're going to have to stop saying that we're in the third week because we're eventually going to be saying things like we're in the 47th week of our study of the book of Acts. But for now, today, we're in our third week. And what we've talked through as a community, what we've studied together We've seen the resurrected Jesus as he spends 40 days with his apostles, teaching them about the kingdom of God and encouraging them to remain patient and wait for the spirit to come before they go and begin trying to fulfill the great commission. You might remember in Acts chapter one, the apostles actually come to Jesus and ask, is it okay if we start trying to fulfill the mission? They're trying to, in some sense, be obedient to Jesus, but they're also, in a sense, running out ahead of God and running out ahead of the Spirit. And Jesus looks at them and just says, no, you need to wait for the Spirit. And then last week, Pastor Shaq walked us through a passage where we see the apostles, led by Peter, make the decision to replace Judas, one of the disciples who had betrayed Jesus. And they replace him with Matthias. And we see them, the apostles, as they are obeying Jesus. They're praying and waiting together for the Spirit to come. This week, we'll talk through the moment the Spirit does arrive in fullness and in power. We'll see the moment Jesus sends his Spirit into the world as he promised he would. To indwell every person who will believe in him. And we'll see what happens in and through the disciples as they experience the empowering of the Spirit. But before we get into that part of our conversation, I want to start by exploring two questions that I think are important for us to work through as part of our discussion today. The first question is this, for those of us who identify as followers of Jesus, who say yes when we're asked the question of whether or not we believe in Jesus, do we really believe that the Spirit is in us and at work through us? And I don't mean this in a theoretical sense. I don't even really mean it in a theological sense. Because I think in theory or even theologically, we can just say, well, sure, I believe that the Spirit is in every person who professes Jesus as their Savior. But what I'm asking is, do we believe the Spirit is actually in us right now? That as we are gathered together, the Spirit is in us individually and present corporately. 
and that we know this based on our personal and lived experience. So, do we believe, like really believe, that the Spirit is in us and at work through us right now? And then the second question is this. What do we think the Spirit is at work in and through us to accomplish? Is the Spirit in us just to draw us closer into relationship with Jesus? Is the Spirit in us, excuse me, to give us a deeper knowledge of God and his ways and his character? Is the Spirit in us to empower us to demonstrate great faith and to perform supernatural miracles? Maybe to speak in a spiritual language? Maybe to prosper us financially? Because I think that many of us might not really be sure why we need the Spirit. Or why Jesus believed it was better for his disciples and now the apostles to have his Spirit instead of him. So, our first question, do we believe that the Spirit is in us and at work through us right now? And two, what do we think is the primary purpose of the Spirit in our individual and communal lives? These are the two questions that I want us to hold in our heads and in our hearts as we walk through this conversation together this morning. They're the two questions we're going to try to address through our conversation this morning. And my hope is that we'll all leave here today hopeful and encouraged about the Spirit's presence in our lives and what the Spirit wants to empower each one of us to do individually and then what he wants to empower us to do corporately. So with that, Let's turn to our passage for today, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. This week, I asked my wife, Julia, to read our passage. So, let's turn our attention to the side screens as we see and hear Julia read this week's passage. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. 
Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. If you remember back to the first week of our series, and I mentioned this just a few moments ago, we saw the apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, asked Jesus prior to his ascension if it was okay for them to go ahead and start the mission he was sending them on. And Jesus responds to them by saying, no, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. And here in verse 1, Luke makes clear the apostles did what Jesus instructed. They went to Jerusalem and waited. And in verses 2 and 3, we see this moment when the Spirit arrives. It reads, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. The language Luke is using here is meaningful because it gives insight into what the arrival of the Spirit means for the apostles and, I think, for us. Luke describes the sound of the Spirit's arrival as a violent wind. It's a phrase that Luke intends to point his audience back to an Old Testament passage, Proverbs 1.23, which reads, Repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. Luke also describes the Spirit's arrival in a physical sense. He describes the appearance of the Spirit as tongues of fire. It's also an image that Luke intends his audience to connect back to the Old Testament in stories like the burning bush or the stories of the Israelites journeying, journeying through the wilderness at night being led by a pillar of fire or the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel where Elijah is going head to head with the false priests of King Ahaz and he calls down fire from heaven. Luke wants us to have these images. He wants his audience to have these images in mind as we read this passage about the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Because the way in which the Spirit arrives isn't accidental. It's meant to communicate two very real things. One, that when the Spirit arrives, when the Spirit shows up in our lives, when the Spirit takes up residence in us, the Spirit imparts to the apostles God's thoughts and teachings. And the Spirit is the very presence and power of God in and through the apostles. Don't miss this, church. Don't rush past this. Because the same is true for us today. When we place our faith in Jesus and believe that he is who he says he is, we receive the Spirit too. And when the Spirit arrives, he imparts God's thoughts and God's teachings. And his presence and power 
take up residence in our lives. But lest we think the Spirit comes just for our own benefit, Luke describes what happens next in verses 4 through 6. Once the Spirit enters the apostles' lives. He writes, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. The Spirit moves into the lives of the apostles, or a more theological way of saying this is that the Spirit indwells the apostles, and he empowers them to begin speaking in tongues, which Luke tells us is not just a spiritual language that the apostles understand and that connects them personally and relationally to God. The tongues that they are speaking are actually different human languages. The apostles don't receive the Spirit and then keep the Spirit to themselves. The Spirit fills them and empowers them and then pushes them out. The Spirit fills and empowers them for the purpose of service and mission. I'll say that again. The Spirit empowers the apostles for service and mission. Now, just so we're clear, I'm going to define what I mean by service and mission. When I say service, I mean good works. And when I say mission, I mean God's sending. God's sending of his people to their neighbors, neighborhoods, and ultimately to the nations. So when I say the Spirit empowers the apostles for mission and service, what I'm really saying is the Spirit empowers God's followers to do good work amongst their neighbors, neighborhoods, and ultimately the nations. Now, before we turn to what all this might mean for us today, we need to pay attention to verses 7 through 11. Luke writes, utterly amazed. This is the crowds that he's referencing and talking about. The crowds that have gathered at the sound of hearing the apostles speak in foreign languages. The crowds are utterly amazed. And Luke says they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia. that is, it's spelled so weird, P-H-R-Y-G-I-A, Julie and I had to both look up how to pronounce that, so Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. All of these God-fearing Jews who are in Jerusalem and who are from, as Luke says, 
every nation under heaven, which, just to say it, is an intentional exaggeration on Luke's part. What Luke is saying is that people from all over the Roman Empire, the known world, are gathered here in Jerusalem. And Luke is saying that they are amazed. And part of the reason they are amazed is because of who is speaking in these foreign languages. Luke says the crowd asks, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, to understand what the crowds are really asking, we need to go all the way back to when Jesus started calling his first disciples in John chapter 1. There we see Jesus as he calls Andrew, Peter, and Philip. And then in John chapter 1, verse 45, we see Philip as he goes and finds Nathanael. And he's inviting Nathanael to come and follow Jesus with him. There we read, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael replies, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nazareth, church, is in Galilee. So when these God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven look at the apostles and say, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? They're asking a derogatory question. They're looking down on the apostles. They're amazed because these Galileans are supposed to be rural, backwards, under-resourced, and undereducated people. They're not supposed to be able to speak foreign languages. They're not the ones who are supposed to be declaring the wonders and excellencies of God to the aristocratic and resourced leaders of the Jewish communities and faith. The question here, in a sense, they're, they're looking down on them. It's this small indication of the upside-down nature of the kingdom where God is going to use people at all levels of cultural and socioeconomic and all ethnic and racial backgrounds to communicate his gospel, where God is going to use the people at the bottom. He's going to raise up the lowest people in order to reach the people at the top. So, in these verses, Luke also tells us that the crowds begin listing what at first glance might sound like a bunch of different places. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and regions near Libya, Cyrene, Rome, and finally Cretans and Arabs. But if we pay close attention to the list, it's not just places, it's also ethnicities. It's as though God is saying through Luke, I want to speak to every person in the way they can hear me. It's not just a list. God wants to speak to every person 
from every place, regardless of race, regardless of race or ethnicity. He wants to speak to every person and he is going to do it in a way where every person can hear him, can understand his gospel message. It's this picture of God pursuing us. Notice here that God doesn't try to speak to all of these different people by giving all of these people the ability to understand one language. The gift here of understand the gift is given to the apostles to speak in a multitude of languages, not to the crowds to understand one language. God moves towards people. He moves towards people of different races and di different ethnicities, from different backgrounds, from different neighborhoods, and he speaks to them in ways that they will understand. And I'm just going to settle here for a few moments. The Spirit wants to empower us for mission and service just as much as he wanted to empower the apostles on Pentecost. He wants to empower us to do good work amongst our neighbors and neighborhoods just as much as he wanted the apostles to preach to every Jewish person in Jerusalem on Pentecost. And what we find in these verses is this truth. The Spirit gave the apostles something they didn't have so they could accomplish something they couldn't do. I'll say that again. The Spirit gave the apostles something they didn't have, knowledge of foreign languages, to accomplish something they couldn't do, launch a movement that hasn't been stopped to this day. And he wants to do the same thing in us today, right now, with our neighbors and in our neighborhoods. Church, the Spirit wants to give us what we need to accomplish what only God can do. The Spirit is empowering us to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to every teacher, administrator, and student in the school where we work. To every musician and artist and graphic designer in our professional networks. To every entrepreneur we're connected to. He's empowering us to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. To every nurse, doctor, and patient in our practice. To every counselor and client we work with. To every vendor we interact with. To every one of our co-workers and managers and neighbors. He's empowering us to live the gospel in front of the people that we do life with every day. And it's worth noting that perhaps even most importantly for those in the room who are parents, God is empowering us through his spirit to live the gospel in front of our children. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom in word and deed every day to our children. In whatever context we work, in whatever neighborhood we live, in whatever family we find our home, the Spirit will give us what we need to accomplish what only He can do.
We see it here. We see it in the book of Acts. The Spirit gives to the apostles something that they don't have so that they can accomplish something they can't do. Something that we're going to see just next week as we keep moving through Acts chapter 2. Peter's about to preach a sermon. And at the end of it, thousands of people are going to place their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as their Savior. Church, this is what the Spirit wants to do. This is the role of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit wants to move freely in us and through us. The Spirit wants to move towards our neighbors and our families, our friends, our co-workers, and our colleagues in every place that we go and find ourselves so that the kingdom can be built. Now, I want to try to bring this back to the two questions we asked all the way at the beginning of our discussion. One, do we believe the Spirit of Jesus is really in us? And two, what does the Spirit want to accomplish in us and through us? First, do we really believe the Spirit is in us? When we believe in Jesus, when we believe he is who he says he is, the Spirit enters our life. It is a theological truth, yes, but it is a truth. The sun rises, and when we place our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, the Spirit enters our lives and takes up residence inside of us and indwells us. We live post-Pentecost where the Old Testament prophet Joel records God promising his spirit for all people. It's in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 30. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens. This is the reality in which we live. We live post-Pentecost. This prophecy in the Old Testament spoken by God through his prophet Joel, it's been fulfilled. God has done it. Every person who believes in Jesus has the Spirit poured out on them. And the Spirit takes up residence in their lives. And the Spirit is dwelling inside of each one of us right now, imparting to us God's thoughts and teachings and His presence and power. I think some of us, we just need to remember this truth that even if we don't feel it, even if it's not a part of our lived experience right now, that doesn't make it untrue. The Spirit of God is in us. He's in you. He's here corporately amongst us. We might not feel it, 
We might look at our lives and think they're not particularly reflective of Jesus. We might be fighting through anxiety or depression. We might be experiencing loneliness. And in it all, we might start to wonder if Jesus is really in us, if he really has something for us. And the answer is yes. He's in you right now. And he has something for you right now. Even when you feel down, even when you feel discouraged, even when you feel disqualified. You might not think the Spirit is in you. He is. You might not feel qualified for either service or mission. You are. And not because of you, but because of Him who lives and dwells inside of you. Second, what does the Spirit want to accomplish in and through us? In short, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. He wants the gospel to be proclaimed in word and deed to every person everywhere in a language, in a way that they can understand. And because the Spirit is in us, giving us what we need to accomplish what only God can accomplish, we can go to our neighbors and into our neighborhoods, to our friends and our families, to our children, with a humble confidence. We already have everything that we need, even if we feel like we don't. Church, the Spirit empowers us for service and mission. The Spirit pushes us out outside of ourselves to go and do the good work of proclaiming and building the kingdom amongst our neighbors and neighborhoods. Church, sometimes I think that we, maybe we've been taught this at some point in our Christian lives. Maybe it's the spaces that we found ourselves in where it's almost emphasized or overemphasized or even maybe just exclusively focused on that the reason the Spirit comes into our lives is so that we can have a deeper personal relationship and experience with God. That we have the Spirit inside of us so that we can know God personally on a deeper, more intimate level. Or maybe so that we can develop a personal, private prayer language that, again, connects us more deeply in relationship to God. Or maybe we've been taught that the Spirit comes into our lives because we, the Spirit wants to perform these supernatural miracles through our lives as demonstrations of His power. And for what it's worth, we're going to discover throughout the book of Acts that all of these miracles, they don't explain themselves. They are signals of power, but they are always followed by a proclamation of what happened in the gospel. Miracles are not enough in and of themselves to save people. I think we've been taught so many different things that focus on the Spirit's role in our lives in a personal sense that more deeply connect us to God. And yet, what we see here is that the Spirit pushes the apostles out and the Spirit leads us out to go and do good work. Today, 
When we return home, we've been sent on a mission to go and do good work. Tomorrow, when we're at home raising our family or at work, we've been sent on a mission to do good work. And to be clear, I believe doing good work means, one, praying for the people in our home, workplace, and neighborhood. We have to pray for the people that we are around on a daily basis. Two, I believe doing good work, it means doing the work in front of us with great care and excellence, knowing that everything you do, you do unto Jesus. To be clear, if we are followers of Jesus, we should be doing our work with excellence and care. We should not be people who go into our places of work and do shoddy, haphazard, lackadaisical work. That type of work is not work done unto the Lord. If you are going to go into your jobs, and I will just say this very clearly, maybe one of the clearest things I'm going to say, or at least have said over the past year and a half as your pastor, if you are going to go to work later today or tomorrow and do bad work, please do not tell them you are a Christian. And don't tell them that you go to Garden City Church. Maybe make up another place. So to do good work, I believe that means praying for the people around us every day, doing the work in front of us with great care and excellence, and three, as the Apostle Peter writes, we need to be ready to give an answer to any and every person who asks us for the reason of the hope that is in us. We need to be ready, prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And church, the implication is that people should ask us. People should see and experience something different in us. I'm not saying we need to be perfect. I'm not saying we're not allowed to have days where we're just we're struggling. But what I am saying is that the way in which we go about living our lives, the way in which we go about our work, the way in which we engage our coworkers and the people around us, the, the care and love and concern that we demonstrate for people, the hopefulness that we bring into our lives and our places of work, all of it is supposed to point people beyond us and to the one that we have hope in. And as we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, the Spirit's primary purpose in the apostles' lives is to empower them for mission and service, to go and do good work amongst the people that God sent them to. Every day you wake up in your home or apartment, God sent you to the people you live with. Every day you go to work, God sent you to those people. Every day you go to the gym, for those of you who go to the gym, God sent you to those people. Every day you go to the coffee shop, this one's for me. God sent you to those people because, because, we are followers of Jesus. And because of that, we're on mission. 
We are ambassadors. We have to start praying this way, and we have to start living this way. We are empowered for mission and service. And that's why God gives us what we need to accomplish what only he can. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your words recorded in Acts. Thank you for this moment where you fulfilled your promises through Jesus and the prophecies of Old Testament prophets in sending your spirit to dwell inside of the apostles and each one of us. Father, would you would you just plant these words deep into our hearts that we might know we are sent people empowered by your spirit for service and mission to accomplish what only you can accomplish. So Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.